The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who do his precepts have good understanding. Our text for our sermon is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, now today I've set before you life and prosperity, death and disaster. This is what I am commanding you today. Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways and keep his commandments, his statutes and his ordinances. Then you will live and increase in number, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are going to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you are lured away and you bow down to other gods and serve them, then I declare to you today that you will most certainly perish. You will not live a long life on the land that you are about to enter and possess by crossing over the Jordan. I call the heavens and the earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live by loving the Lord your God, by listening to his voice and by clinging to him, because that means life for you and you will live a long life in your land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants would become a nation through which the Savior would be born. They would inherit the region known to them as Canaan. They went down to Egypt as 12 brothers with their families. And 350 to 450 years later, they'd been enslaved by the Egyptians and they were a nation of millions. God leads them out. We're studying that in Bible study. He leads them out with ten plagues. And he gets to the point where even though Pharaoh won't let him go, the Egyptians through those plagues finally say, Please, go and take our gold with you. Pharaoh changes his mind. He chases after them. What are we to do? We're a helpless people. We don't even have an army. God parts the sea and they come through safely. And when Pharaoh comes through, God swallows up the largest army of the time. So they roam around the desert. Oh, we don't have enough meat. God provides miracle quail. Oh, we don't have bread. God provides manna, the miracle bread. We don't have water. God provides water. God takes them to Mount Sinai and he makes a covenant with them. And it's a different covenant than we have now. The deal was they will be faithful to God and God would keep them as a sovereign nation. They would shine with the glory of the coming Savior. And he would protect them and they would conquer the promised land and he would bless them with abundant crops. All they have to do is be faithful to God, not chase after false gods. And of course, there's all those civil, ceremonial, moral laws they have to follow. They say it's a deal. Ironically, then Moses stays up on Mount Sinai too many days for their liking and they turn around and break the deal by making the golden calves and worshiping them. God is a gracious God, brothers and sisters in Christ. He forgives them. They get to the doors of the promised land. It's time to begin the conquest. But they say, let's send out spies and see what this land is like. They send out 12 spies. Ten of them come back and say, oh, we're like grasshoppers in these people's eyes. You know, God who did all those plagues and took care of the largest army in our world, he couldn't possibly deliver us and give us this land. We're in trouble. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, "Uh uh-uh, God is in control of everything. He's got this. But the people rebel again, and that's when God finally says enough. And in their particular case, all the adults in that generation would not be allowed to enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Well, we get to Deuteronomy, and it's that next generation. It's the children and the younger people. They're getting ready to begin the conquest. 
And Moses reiterates to them the covenant that their parents had made. This is their chance. They don't, they're not just stuck in this covenant. They can choose. Will they have God conquering for them and take that promised land? Or will they perish in the desert like their parents? So it's a different covenant than you and I have, brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I have the covenant of baptism, where God's done all the work. God has said, I've sealed my Holy Spirit in your heart so that you know that my son is your savior. He's done all the work. All you can do is reject it. That's it. He doesn't force you into it. And so today we will ask the question, which are you choosing? And to answer that question, just as Moses laid out the options to the people, we need to know our options. Now, Moses, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, has been laying out all the options that they have, all of the good things they'll get by staying as the Lord's chosen nation, or the bad things that'll come if they reject the Lord. And ultimately, he summarizes it into four categories. And that's where our text begins. He says, see, I've placed before you today... Now, he categorizes everything. So these words in Hebrew have the definite article, which doesn't get translated into English, but it would be the aforementioned life, the aforementioned good, the aforementioned death, and the aforementioned bad. Now, ironically, one more thing that doesn't translate into English very well. All of those are singular. They're categories, but one. Life, he says in the plural, the aforementioned lives. You see, we have life. Unbelievers have life. And some unbelievers seem to have a prosperous life by the worldly standard. But then there's the life of faith. When you have faith that God is your Savior, you are saved. The unbeliever is a walking zombie. What about the believer who rejects the Lord, chooses the ways of this world? Then they're a walking zombie with rotting, decaying flesh to God that stinks something awful. Yet God can still call them back into the faith. So it's not just material life. It's not just life with the clothing on our back. It's not just giving them rain. It's everything. It's the life that would be reflecting God's holy and life that is connected to, in their case, the coming Savior. With us, it's connected to the Savior who has come. There was good. God said, if you stay faithful to me, I will send the rains and your land will be prosperous. Uh, If you stay to my ceremonial laws of worship, you will know, one, that you are sinners, but you will know you have a gracious God who, by the blood of the coming lamb, Jesus Christ, will forgive you. But then he mentions death and bad. If you turn your back on me and chase after false gods, and they would. They would end up, not this generation, but other generations, they'd chase after Baal. So what does God do? He lifts his providing hand away, says, Baal is the God of rain. You want to worship him? Fine. I'll hold back the rain. He did that for seven years in the time of Elijah. It was miserable for them. 7,000 people who were believers lived in the northern kingdom during that time. And while they suffered the drought, God took care of them as well. And there would be bad that would happen with them. God would lift his hand of protection, allow other nations to come. So, for example, when the northern part of the nation, many generations later, was chasing after Baal, generation after generation, our gracious God, who's very patient, said, enough, the Assyrians are coming, you're done. He let them come straight to the gates of Jerusalem, because the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, were just as guilty, but then he sent them back. 150 years, but they still didn't learn their lesson. And God finally sent the Babylonians and destroyed and the covenant was done. The Savior would still be born there, but the covenant was done. You and I have an everlasting covenant. And he tells us we have life in him. The option is eternal life in him. That means life in him now. And maybe we won't be the most prosperous by this world's ways. But we have the comfort of knowing the good that if God allows something bad to happen in my life, I might think it's bad. 
But God's actually using it for my good and the good of my neighbor. And so Moses explains to them how he's laying out these four categories in verse 16. He says, by the fact that I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to watch over his commands, his statutes and ordinances, so that you will live and so that you will increase in number and so that the Lord God will bless you in the land that you are entering in to take possession of. If they follow the covenants and do the things God has commanded, he's going to do the conquering for them, like in Jericho. And it's interesting, in all this, he uses the singular, you singular. Is he talking to the collective nation of Israel or each individual who then makes up the nation? I would say, yes, he's talking to both. If every one of them is faithful to the Lord, then the entire nation is faithful to the Lord. There will be times, for example, when they get to Ai, where a man doesn't do what God says. He says, all their treasures to be destroyed in this city's case, and a man hoards it up. And the nation suffers because of it. But then it's taken care of when it's revealed what's going on. Now, you can demand that somebody love you, and you can torture them and demand that they love you. They will never truly love you under those circumstances. The law says you have to love God and you have to love your neighbor. But all it can do is call when you're being unloving or when you're loving. The good news for you in that covenant of baptism is... God demands that you love him, but he supplies that love by hearing the love he had for you that he took on human flesh. And then through that very message, the Holy Spirit enters your heart either to create your faith or to continually strengthen your faith. Yes, his commands tell us his will and obeying those don't save us. But if we quit obeying them, we're rejecting him. We're rejecting salvation. Which are you choosing? Do you choose the life and good from God or will you choose the lie that the devil gives us in this world with its, you know, go after more material possessions, go after bigger houses, go after the things of this world because the devil will lie to us. That's true death. But remaining in what God has given you in the salvation, that's true life. So know your options. Because in this world, choosing God often seems miserable. And yet... Through the faith he gives us, we know that he's using those things for our good so that we don't reject him. Which are you choosing? Know your options. Life that is in him or being a walking zombie who has headed to hell. Now we got to beware of the dangers because I'm talking to the choir here, right? You are here because you have chosen life. But Moses warned, was warning a generation that knew the Lord, and they were faithful, but he warns them of the dangers. In verse 17 he says, However, if your heart, and he says that singular again, if your heart were to turn away, and you were not hearing, and then you were to allow yourself to be led astray, and then you were to bow yourselves down to other gods, and then you were to serve them, then I have informed you guys, there he says it in the plural, that you will most certainly perish and you will not make your days long upon the land that you are crossing over the Jordan in order to enter therein to take possession of it. Do you see a kind of a slippery slope in verse 17, how it works out? The heart begins to turn away from God, like a sheep out in the field that is being lured away by a false shepherd who's got some tempting-looking grass in his hands. Come along, come along. Just keeps, just keeps getting it to go a little further and a little further and a little further. It's turning away. What happens next? Then you're not hearing. And interesting, the Hebrew verb here used for hearing also means obeying. When you hear the word of God, His Holy Spirit works to keep you strong and planted in it. 
First a person straying away, then they quit hearing the word of God. We're not seeing them regularly coming to worship. It doesn't matter so much for them. And then you were allowed yourself to be led astray. And then you bow yourself down to other gods and then you were to serve them. See the slippery slope? It happens gradually, but it happens. Now, maybe you and I don't offer our children to be fried to death on altars to gods like Moloch. And maybe we don't bother with gods of rain like Baal. We have our false gods, don't we? We can let money and the material possessions it buy become important to us. We can let relationships with other human beings interfere with our relationship with God. But you know, one way or the other, the greatest false god every human being in all history has ever been tempted to serve is our own self. We are selfish by our sinful nature, brothers and sisters in Christ. When we get angry with God, when we start telling God how to be God and things he should do as God, guess which God we're bowing down to and worshiping? There's a danger there. When we get caught up in ourselves, when we know God and his love is in our heart, the love for the neighbor now means God has served me by saving me and now I love to serve my neighbor because it shows them God's love. And it also shows them my love and it shows God I love him and my neighbor. And so Moses says in verse 19, today I'm calling on the heavens and the earth to testify against you guys. I've placed before you the lies and the death. And here instead of saying good and bad, he says the blessing and the curse, which is the same thing. And so make an informed decision for the lives so that you may live, you and your seed. Hebrew here he says seed. Kind of interesting. There's just a subtle hint there. I'm not saying it's a big hint. See, that's the same Hebrew word that's used when God tells Adam and Eve the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Now he's talking about their descendants. And it's a reminder to the Christians, when we bring up our children in the word, God makes a promise to us. And he did that when we have our children baptized. I'll keep them in the word unless they fight very hard to reject it. But it's all because of that coming seed, the one who would be a descendant of Abraham, then David, etc., Jesus Christ. Beware of the dangers, brothers and sisters in Christ, because this world, the devil lies a lot. And he'll, he'll start with our own selfish desires and he'll gradually lead us away. But God has given us a way to keep the choice. Now, Moses presents to the people how to keep their choice in verse 20. Do this by loving the Lord your God, by listening to his voice and by clinging to him, because that is your, again, lives and longer days of your dwelling upon the land that the Lord bound by oath to give to your fathers, namely to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So here with lives, plural, he covers both their physical lives and their eternal lives. God says the same thing to you. The devil wants us to think that God does not love us just like he tricked Adam and Eve. And we're going to get into that in the temptation of Christ when we get into the Lent season. But for you and I, how does God keep us in his love? We're told by listening to his voice and by clinging to him. When you hear the word, you are listening to God's voice. When you read the word, you are listening to God's voice. And he understands you and I, we're, we're sheep. And so he gives us more than one way to hear that word. And he's combined it with water where he made that covenant with you and I. And the covenant is, I'm your God and Savior and I will keep you in salvation so long as you don't utterly and completely reject it. We're sinners. We sin against it every day. What a wonderful covenant. It's a comfort for a parent when they lose a child or when the child gets older and seems to be going astray. God says, I'll fight to keep them. God says, I, I, I made a covenant. I sealed my Holy Spirit in their heart. But then he also takes that word and he combines it with bread and water and the Lord's Supper. And we literally receive the body and blood of our Savior. 
There's another way in which we get to literally eat forgiveness and be strengthened and nourished in our covenant. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, how do you keep your choice? You remain in that word. Keep coming to it. And God will continually strengthen you so that you don't reject it. Does it mean that life's going to be hunky-dory? Oh, no. Jesus says, whoever will follow me must take up their cross. But it really makes it easier to bear those crosses when we know, even while our sinful nature is screaming out the opposite, God has a good in mind for me and my neighbor. And he says he won't give me more than what will crush me. And so like the nation of Israel about to enter the promised land, that next generation, Moses says, which are you going to choose? Choose life. Which are you choosing? Know your options. God's word, eternal life. Yes, some crosses, but it's all God providing for you. Beware of the dangers. The dangers are to be led astray and get away, stay away from that word, but know how to keep your choice. God keeps you in the word with the word and sacraments. Amen. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen.